Have you ever stopped mid-story? Because you couldn't remember what you wanted to say, the example you wanted to share. And after a moment, two, couple of minutes trying to think of it, you stopped and said, ah, it'll come back to me. Why does this happen? Why does it come back to us when we stop trying to remember? It turns out, the harder we try to find something, to remember something, to discover a solution, the less likely we are to succeed. The mind blocks. We hit what David Rock in Your Brain at Work calls an impasse. We look at the problem usually in the same way we always have, or the way we've been conditioned to, or even cultured to. Like a car stuck in the mud, we keep our foot on the accelerator, spinning the wheel, instead of trying to think of a different way to get it out. But to do that, first we have to put our foot on the brakes and change the direction of our thoughts. Now I have a client who works in compliance. And of course, in compliance you have to be very aware of detail and understand what the problems are so that you can guide and advise and find solutions. But the devil is in the detail. And this is a phrase that came up during a session once. And the client has now taken on as a bit of a mantra. It was something which created a moment of insight for this person. Most people focus on the drama or the problem. We stay stuck in the mud. You know, research has shown that being able to move out of the drama, to say no to the brain, meaning to shift our direction or our focus, allows us to move in another direction. And this is one of the models that we learn in brain-based coaching and one which, to be honest with you, I have seen create the most incredible shifts in people faster than any other of the models that I use. Why? Because it redirects how they think about their thinking how they tackle problems. To redirect our thinking, to put our foot on the brakes, we have to be able to veto the brain. And when I say veto the brain, what I mean is, if you think about an example I gave today actually, was Facebook with a, a client that I was working with, not the same client in compliance. But think about, what's his name, Zuckerberg, right? Zuckerberg owns, if I'm correct, I haven't actually double-checked the statistic, 51% of Facebook, 49% owned by the shareholders. And so, if we think about, ah, oh, fuck, I'm making that too slow because I'm thinking of a different thing. I might keep that in. Do you know, I was about to press pause there and create a marker, and I'm not gonna, because what has just happened here is evidence of exactly what I'm talking about in the podcast. So I'm going to leave this in, even if you might be feeling a little bit confused right now, listener. Let me explain what's just happened. I am looking at my script and my notes for the podcast. I have it all set out in front of me at the kitchen table. And I hadn't written in that I was going to give the example about Facebook. And when I said he owns 51%, and the shareholders of 49%, I started thinking about whether or not my maths was definitely right <laughs> and whether my statistic was right because I didn't 
double check to make sure that it is 51% that he owns and that it's 49 for the rest of the shareholders. I'm pretty sure that it's right. But what happened there was I lost my train of thought because I focused on something else. My brain was split in two places, thinking about the correctness of what I said and moving myself forwards to explain something to you in the podcast. So I'm leaving that little moment of thought in just to demonstrate what can happen when we shift our focus and we don't shut down the thinking in the brain. I didn't veto my brain there for a moment. But then I did veto an action. What am I talking about? Let's go back to my prepared notes. The year I was born, 1983, a researcher called Benjamin Libet, or Libet, I'm not sure how to pronounce it exactly, conducted research to find out if we actually have free will. So for any of you who might be listening thinking, what do you mean when you say free will? The free will to decide to do something or not. Do we have free will? What he discovered was that we have a particular number of seconds before we realise we have a desire to do something. Your brain, in those milliseconds, sends a signal to indicate the potential of an action happening. They call it an action potential. So think about having an interest in somebody and you follow them on social media. Maybe you've met them before, maybe you've talked before and you want to send them a message. Your brain got the confidence to send that message milliseconds before you realised you had the desire to do it. Now, when that happens, you have another 0.2 seconds between realising or the awareness that you're about to take that action and taking the action. And this is the moment that gets us out of the mud or keeps the truck stuck with the foot slammed down on the accelerator spinning the hamster wheel of habit. Let's go back to me for a moment there when I was about to press pause and cut that part out of the podcast. Before I was about to press pause, my brain knew and sent an action potential signal to say that I was going to press pause. And then I realised that I was going to press pause. But just before I pressed it, I vetoed my brain. I stopped myself from taking the action. And instead I decided to use what was happening as an example. But what I didn't do was tell you why I used Mark Zuckerberg as an example in the coaching session this morning. Now I'll be totally honest with you, I'm a bit fastidious. So I have pressed pause to check my statistic. And in fact, I'm wrong about the 51% ownership. It's that he's got, well, it was 51% voting rights. Now it's actually 53.3% voting rights. And that's the reason I chose him as an example when talking about veto power. Because when we make a relatable example for the brain, it's easier to understand the concept. So although I have 
and am explaining what the veto principle is with examples here, just in case you're left with a little bit of uncertainty and confusion as to why I mentioned Zuckerberg. The reason is to explain simply veto power. He's got 53.3% of voting rights in Facebook, so this means that much like his playful exploration, let's call it, of virtual reality worlds last year where he spent billions of dollars, he can choose to do essentially whatever he likes in Facebook. And it doesn't matter how, what the shareholders want him to do or don't want him to do because he's got 53.3%. He can veto them. He can say, no, sorry, lads and lassies. I'm going to do it because I feel like it. And I've got the voting power to veto your decisions. But whether or not we are able to veto the brain, to take our foot off the accelerator, or exercise what another doctor called Jeffrey Schwartz said was free won't, is determined by many different factors. Your energy, how hungry you are, the time you've spent making decisions already during the day, your levels of stress. And it's worth noting here too that how your brain is wired also has an impact. Someone experiencing PTSD, for example, or addiction will have a chemical reaction when desire is activated different to that of uh, the brain that is not traumatized or the brain that is not experiencing addiction. There's a really good book by a former addict and now neuroscientist called Mark Lewis um, named The Biology of Desire, which is a brilliant resource on learning about the, what he calls the maypole of desire and how the chemicals in our brains activate. So being able to do this veto, stopping yourself in an action to change your pattern of thinking requires a certain amount of energy and we can't always do it. But if you want to make it to your final destination or like many global firms nowadays, want your people to be to be able to find innovative solutions to the logistics canal blocks that are ever frequently occurring nowadays. You need to be able to, as again, Dr. David Rock puts it, move from impasse to insight. Flood the Panama Canal so the ships can sail. And getting stuck can be costly, frustrating, and painful. Think back to a time in your life when you caught your finger in a door or a drawer and you felt a sudden flush or rush of pain. How long did it last for? As long as you continued to focus on it. Turns out that my mad musings while walking the Camino de Santiago in 2022 were less crazy than I believed them to be. I walked the Camino alone, sola. But of course, I met people along the way. I also severely damaged what I now understand is my piriformis muscle and my right hip, going all the way down to my right leg and the way that my foot lands on the floor. Your piriformis muscle is one of these muscles in around your bum cheek and it covers the sciatic nerve. So when it's pinched in a particular way, it puts pressure on the sciatic nerve. Needless to say, 
it's considerably painful and takes a long, long time to fix. But I kept walking. One day, I was walking out of a stretch from what's called uh, Albergo Ranero. The night before, we had had a brilliant evening. I was slowly beginning to allow myself to trust people again, to, to get to know them. And there was this fantastic German man who I've mentioned on the, the podcast before, another American guy and uh, another half German, half Greek man whom I'd met and a, and a lovely American girl and a couple of other people. Um, the, the German guy took us out for dinner the night before. We had a brilliant evening, really, really enjoyable. Great sleep. The whole lot was fabulous. But then the next morning, I was determined, of course, to go off and walk my stretch alone. And I was in agony. I'm not going to go into the story of me being in incredible pain. I actually have a video of it, which I, by the time this episode has gone out, have posted in the Connected Communication Resources platform, which you can find a link to in the show notes. There you can support me making these podcasts, which I love making and I do spend hours researching <laughs> and recording, but I adore doing. Uh, but it's it's not a paid job. So if you would be willing to and interested in supporting me, it would be very kind of you. The video I'm going to put in there. But the reason I'm talking about this is because on the stretch out of Alburgo Ranero, when I was in pain that day, I started to think about the focus that I had and the fact that I was alone and how much pain I was in and how focused I was on my pain when I was alone. I mused more than once about the connection between focus and pain on the Camino and I started noticing that whenever I was talking to somebody, if I was walking for a little while and talking to someone, I, I wasn't paying attention to the pain, I didn't feel it. If I put my music on for a little while or I listened to one of the training courses that I, I took while I was walking, I didn't notice the pain because I wasn't focused on it. But this week, I was very pleased to read that not only has the the idea of pain and focus been known by researchers for many years or been looked into by researchers for many years, but that it's also been found that fantasizing about your favorite food has a stronger pain attenuating effect than thinking about most other things. So your favorite food was found to be very strong. Sex as well, sexual fantasy comes into it there. And chocolate in particular was one of the key things that the... Um, the, the research candidates listed as having been a key focus. Imagery tactics, said Dr. Hamid Hechmat, I think is the correct pronunciation, are the most potent cognitive behavioural interventions for pain. Now, you might be thinking, here, Christine, I thought this episode was about daydreaming. Why are you talking to me about imagining food and distracting yourself from pain? Well, I told you last week that physical and emotional, emotional pain create the same sensations, that they hurt in the same way. 
when we get stuck in the mud, focusing on the problem, we heighten the sensation of pain. Now, in the case of finding innovative solutions in the ever-evolving IT world to issues and challenges that come up, or to uh, having new ideas, the pain is emotional when we get stopped and blocked. We need to find a distraction to flip the focus, as is the title of my next workshop, which I'm very excited to be giving. We need to veto our conditioned habit loops to alleviate the pain and get the truck out of the mud. We do this by daring to daydream. Isn't it absolutely wonderful to think that now we can use the backing of scientific research to say, I'm daydreaming because it's better for my brain and I'm going to find more solutions once I've had a little bit of a daydream. Thanks very much, boss. Can you shag off for a minute, please? I'm staring into space. Maybe don't say shag off to your boss, <laughs> but get them to listen to this podcast episode to encourage them to realise and recognise why it's important for you to have a bit of space to stare into. I'm going to go on another little tangent just here as I say that. The Germans have known this for years. It's a law, as far as I understand it, in Germany that every office must have a window. I'm not sure if that's just because of the daylight or because they realise that it's important for someone to just be able to put their head up and look out a window for a few minutes. A lot of other famous people have also known this for many, many years. Steve Jobs was a master of quiet wakefulness, as it has been termed. Steve Jobs. I've heard someone call him Steve Jobs. Jobs or Jobs. If you know, for absolute certainty, send me in a message and tell me which one is the correct pronunciation. But moving back on, he was a master of quiet wakefulness. It's very well known that he walked to find his best ideas and to have serious conversations about innovation and creativity. Even Einstein did it. Einstein. While daydreaming, apparently, about riding a sunbeam to the edge of the universe, he came up with his theory of relativity, or at least got a bit of the insider inspiration for it. If you follow my Instagram or LinkedIn content, you'll see that most of my videos are made outside while I'm walking. I could sit down and make them inside at a table, sitting with a nice background behind me. But when I'm walking is when my brain awakens. In fact, today I went for a walk before prepping this podcast. So dare to daydream. What's the impact that it has? A traditional thinking would have you get your head out of the clouds. I know many children in Ireland have ha have heard that said. Well, she's got her head in the clouds, that one. She's away with the fairies. So the person who stares into space and looks away and gets lost in their thoughts and daydreams is often considered to be less creative, to be less aware and to be less intelligent. Well, now we're learning that that's not actually the case. It's important to be able to get away from the problem. In the coach training that I did, 
mistake all this the the clarity of distance it's actually better for a coach to not know how to solve things for you the more you know about a problem the more you relate it to your own experience and your own experience might not necessarily be the right experience to find the resolution the right side of the brain the holistic side of the brain is activated when we daydream creativity is boosted the brain is able to form new connections between old learning so things that we have experienced in the past that may have been dormant even for a while when we relax and stop putting pressure on the front part of the brain to to come up with solutions lots of different other parts are able to get excited and to wire together we're able to explore alternatives to do some scenario planning we can imagine and fantasize about different things we can allow the mind to wander new mental maps can be formed and just like the calm before the storm brain research with people on machines has shown that there's about a half a second before a person comes to the solution of a problem when a particular brain wave the alpha brain wave starts to get excited and just before the solution comes it reduces and this all happens in and around the occipital lobe so around the visual parts of the brain I try to keep this as simple as possible. It needs to be simple for me as well. I'm not claiming here now to understand all the different parts of the brain and the names of them, but I'm learning. So think about it like this, right? You know, when you're in a conversation with somebody or you're in a meeting or your brain, well, brainstorming is a different topic, actually, because now research is finding that brainstorming is the not is not the best way to come up with ideas because it puts pressure on the brain and creates, creates stress. Um. So when you're in a moment of excited exploration because you've taken some downtime, you've relaxed and you've allowed yourself to imagine the creative bubble is starting to happen. Maps are starting to connect in your brain. Ideas are starting to come together without you intentionally trying to make them come together. And you look away or you close your eyes. Why do you look away or close your eyes? Because you want to shut down the visual input so you can reduce the noise in your brain. And this allows you to see the solution better. It allows the insight to pop. There's activity that happens in the brain, of course, when this occurs we get this spike in that higher frequency brainwave, what they call the gamma brainwave, the one at the very top. And there's a big excitatory moment when there's a buzz happening. The insight hits and then the energy is there. And we have a couple of moments then while the energy is there, while that motivation is there to take action. So we start to become aware of it. We feel it coming. We close down parts of the brain 
so that we can allow it to happen. And then we get this burst of energy and we take the action. There's been research done by a fellow called Beeman, who I actually emailed today <laughs> in a moment of insight and, and action taking to see if he'd come on the podcast. He found a lot of this information, these insight occurrences in research subjects. But what he got to a point of discovering was that he could tell who was most likely to have an insight or not before the experiment even started, based solely on their brain activity. The people who focused more on finding the solution, the people who focused harder on solving the problem, the people who might have been considered more intelligent, the people who might have been considered as having better vision, were not the ones who were more likely to have an insight. It was those who have awareness of their thinking and of their internal experience who can shift their thought process because they have better cognitive control and can quieten their mind on demand who were more likely to have an insight. So, you left brain thinkers who don't allow yourselves to stare off into space, to take a couple of minutes of downtime throughout your day after bursts of work, who look at those who do stare into space, who do sit down and do nothing for periods of time. Don't presume they're doing nothing. They are, in fact, increasing their brain's potential and capacity to learn, to be able to remember, to solve problems, because they're allowing themselves to daydream. Those of you who are managing teams, constantly keeping them on the traditional treadmill of action and activity, think about how you can demonstrate your daring, allowing yourself to take moments of downtime. The client that I mentioned earlier that I was talking to this about today has decided to block their calendar for five minutes after every two hours of work and go and do a different activity, like sitting with their pets or listening to some music or just as I do staring into space. In fact, I went for a walk, like I said, before I decided to, before I sat down to do this podcast. And then because I wanted to be able to have moments of joy and make sure that I kept the stress down in my brain and I increased the happy hormones, the dopamine, I got a cheesecake and a coffee. I allowed myself to be able to stare into space every few minutes as I was preparing the script. A bird landed on a chair beside me to say hello while I was writing. And it made me smile. And all those little moments of looking away, relaxing, not reflecting with focus or intention, allowed me to keep my brain in a state of awareness so that I could generate insights 
And then, as I got my little bursts of energy, take action and prepare the script for you. Now, I've unscripted it a little bit as I've gone along, because I think I drank too much coffee. But let's summarise it and bring it back to what you can do if you dare to daydream. You want, as we say, to get your truck out of the mud. How would you do that? Would you keep your foot on the accelerator? Would you put your foot on the brake? Would you put it into reverse? Try and move it out of the mud? Or would you recognise that you were at an impasse? Veto your brain. Take it out of the drama. Stop focusing on the problem. Allow yourself to reduce the pain by walking away for a little while, daydreaming, becoming a little more creative. And then, having a moment of insight, as you look down and see a plank of wood on the ground, and think, hmm, if I lifted up that plank of wood and put it underneath the wheel of the car, in between the mud and the wheel, and then I ever so slowly and gently put my foot down on the accelerator. I just might be able to move the car out of the mud. Hmm. I never thought about doing it like that before. Aren't I very clever for having that idea? And you get a lovely big burst of happy energy. Go ahead and you lift up the piece of wood. You put it underneath the wheel of the car and you allow it to move you forwards. I'm giving you this example because that's exactly a moment that happened to me when I was living in Australia. I took a course to learn how to live in the outback before I went to live in the outback. It also guaranteed me a job because I needed to get a job in a particular area that was in a belt to be able to continue with my second year visa. And on the course, they taught us how to get the ute or the truck out of the mud. They lifted up a plank, as simple as you could have it, stuck it in under the tyre, and off the truck went out of the mud. And I cannot tell you the <laughs> youthful awe that I had at seeing that happen. Now, to be fair, I didn't drive at the time, right? So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, jeez, she's a gobshite, that one. <laughs> I didn't drive at the time, and I was only 25. And this was my first long term being abroad life experience. So cut me a bit of slack at not having the creativity to think of putting a plank underneath the tire. But I tell you something else. The number of times afterwards that I was somewhere watching people with a car stuck in wet mud or in the sand, revving on an accelerator, trying to get the car out for minutes on end and doing nothing else but do that. I went up to them and said, can I offer a suggestion? And when this is a woman coming up to a man, offering a suggestion to get their car out of the mud, they don't particularly like it. But they take it nonetheless. And I'd say, if you go over there and you grab that bit of wood off the, the side of the, the, the earth or 
if you have a bit of wood in the back of your truck, or there might be something else around, cardboard or something basically that you can wedge between the tyre and the mud, you'll be able to stick it in underneath the tyre and, and you'll be able to get the truck out. And they'd look at you like your ten heads, but all those heads had really clever hats on. And you could see that they'd feel a little bit foolish or silly for not having thought of it before. I didn't know then that I could say to them, it's all right. Just didn't take a moment to daydream. Next time, walk away. Give yourself a couple of minutes to calm down. I've added the conditioning and allow your brain to dream. You never know what might come up. As always, if you have had any moments of insight while listening to this episode, or if you go off now and you take a bit of a walk to allow yourself to daydream and you have a moment of insight afterwards, please send me a message and tell me. I'd love to hear from you. Please share the podcast. Bring it to your teams. Talk together about how you can create moments of insights for each other and with each other. Share it with your friends and family. And allow yourself to dream. Until next time, good yen kia Banakti, August Thanks for listening.